inventing a new recipe with a cheese better than Philadelphia cream cheese, Roboso wine, and the best guy to know at the Rialto market. This week, we're in Venice, Italy. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. You're in the place where we explore the best food in the world at DestinationEatDrink.com, on the Destination Eat Drink YouTube channel, and here on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. This week, we're in Venice, Italy, with foodie tour guide, author, and podcaster, Monica Cesarato. If you like food and travel, be sure to rate and review the Destination Eat Drink podcast. It's super easy to do and just takes a couple seconds. Plus, you'll help other foodie travelers like yourself find the podcast, and it'll make me happy too. Thank you so very much. Monica Cesarato leads hungry travelers in her city of Venice, Italy. She's an expert on the cuisine of Venice, especially the delicious little dishes called cicchetti. In fact, Monica has written a new book called Andar per Bacari, Food, Wine, and Itineraries Among Venice. This pocket-sized guide is the perfect companion for your trip to Venice, and it doubles as a cookbook with lots of delicious and simple recipes. Monica tells me about taking 10 years to write her book, some of her favorite Cicchetti recipes, the wine of the Veneto region, and the fish vendor who's so proud to have his picture in her book. Okay, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Monica Cesarato, thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink. It's been so long since I've talked to you. It's been over three years. Thank you for being back on the show. Has it been so long? Oh, my God. It felt like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly thought it was only a few, a few months ago. Okay, right. Yes. But yeah, uh, it's been a while. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. Congratulations on the new book, Andar per Bacari. Uh, yes, Andar per Bacari. Food, wine, and itineraries among Venice. You know, the first time mm-hmm. you were on, I went back and listened to the episode. You were talking about writing this book. And yes. And then I think it was maybe last year it came out originally in Italian. And I sent you a note immediately and I said, Monica, when's it going to come out in English? Because I want to have you back yeah. on. You said, soon, soon, just wait. And now it's yeah. finally out in English. So congratulations. I'm so happy to be able to get this book. Thank you. I'm also very excited because it was uh, a 10-year labor of love (laughs) and it was supposed to have come out in English first. But my editor is, uh, my publisher is Italian and uh, is actually very uh, local from Venice. And uh, I am their first author being published uh, in another language. So it was a bit like, uh, you know, mm, they weren't so sure to wanted to publish it in, um, you know, in English at first. So they waited uh, to see how much uh, how many sales they were doing with Italian uh, the Italian was very good because we already sold over 3,000 copies but for a small blue book uh, niche book like this is quite good and uh, so eventually got convinced and last month finally he published it in English I'm so happy this is the perfect book if anyone's going to Venice and loves food this is the perfect book to take with you because it fits in your pocket You've got all the places in there, 
And mm-hmm. once they're done with their tour of Venice, take it home and make all the recipes in it because you've got tons and tons of recipes for uh, for chicchetti in it. But before mm-hmm. we get into all that, um, mm-hmm. let's let's define a couple of terms because you know yes. your book is called Endar per Bakery, and mm-hmm. most folks are not going to know what Bakery means. So, what is Bakery? Right. So first of all, uh, just before explaining what Bakri is, I would like to explain you why I kept the um, title in Italian. And, and I put my foot down this, uh, with the, uh, uh, with a publisher because he, they wanted to change the title. And I said, look, you've done everything you wanted on this book, but the title stays. For the simple fact that Andar per Bakari is an experience. It is not, uh, it's a way of life for Venetian. So it wasn't about talking about something that looks, uh, and people keep saying it looks like tapas, but they're not tapas. <laughs> it's not something, they're not appetizers. It is a way of life. So a bacaro is uh, a small place in Venice, uh, and originally they only existed in Venice, and it's only very, like, mm, five, eight years now that you start having them in outside of Venice, okay? The small places where uh, the focus was on wine and then you would have some small little bites to go with the wine so you made sure not to get drunk while you were eating. Simple as that. But it's a way of life because the way a Venetian will do it, they will stop in a baccaro, have a small glass of wine that is called a ombra, and then have a little chiquetto to go with it. So it will say it will do what we call il fondo, the bottom. It will make sure that you don't, you know, the digestion wouldn't kick in, uh, you know, you wouldn't get drowsy and stuff like that. And um, it, it soaked the alcohol level in the bloodstream. And then after a couple of hours, they will stop in another part of town and do exactly the same thing. So it is a way of life. It's not, um, you know, it's not aperitif, really. It's something different. It's something unique of Venice. And um, Abacaro comes from, uh, there are many legends that you'll find all over the internet. One of the biggest ones says that Abacaro comes from the word Bacchus, in, uh, from the god of wine, uh, but actually it's not. It comes from the fact that back in the, uh, when the um, Venice was taken over by the Austrians, uh, originally before that, they used to be, to have a monopoly of the Adriatic, of the wine trade. Once they got taken over, you know, they lost their dominance, it got taken over by the Austrians. They couldn't import the wines from the Middle East anymore. So they start to import wines from Puglia. And there was this gentleman from Puglia that opened this uh, place where he was selling his beautiful wines. Venetian fell in love with those. An old gondolier walked in one night, had a sip of his wines, and he said, un vinda bacara. But bacara in Venetian means to make a lot of noise, to have a good time together. Okay. And then uh, the name stuck to his place and he used it for other, uh, for his whole other, uh, he opened many, many different ones in Venice. Simple as that. What a great story. So so what time frame is that that we're talking about, Monica? When when did that happen? Uh, after the, uh, during the Austrian occupation, solely in the, uh, in the 1800s. Okay. Okay. So over a hundred years ago. Um, uh, 200. 200. Now. 200 years ago now. Okay. <laughs> well, nearly 200, yeah. Very good. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Ombra, which means uh, mm-hmm. the, the small glass of wine that you would get when you go yes. into one of these bars. Last time yep. I had you on, we talked uh, at length about Prosecco, which is the sparkling yep. wine from the uh, Veneto region. 
Today, yep. I'd like to talk about some of the different wines, the still wines, the red wines, the white wines. Yeah. What, what can we expect? Yeah. What kind of wines when we go to uh, when we go into one of these uh, Bacari? First, uh, first of all, I want to explain something that I always do when I do my tours as well. It's, it's trying to make people understand the importance of the Veneto region. And by Veneto region, I just don't mean Venice, but all the other provinces. So Vicenza, Verona, Treviso, Padua. Uh, Rovigo and Belluno. Uh, the Veneto region is, as well as being one of the biggest regions in Italy, is also the biggest producer of wine in Italy with over uh, uh, 11 million hectolitres per year. 70% is white, so the rest uh, is red and a little bit of rosé. And uh, we are one, uh, no, the region, not one of the region, the region in Italy with the highest number of native grapes. And by native grapes, I mean that they only exist here and nowhere else in the world. So in Italy, if you know anything about a little bit about wine, uh, you can have a Nebbiolo, you can have a Barolo, a Barbera, you can have a Chianti, Montepulciano, Brunello. You call it what you want, a different region, different names, but it's always the same grape, the Sangiovese. In the Veneto region, we don't have a Sangiovese at all. We got more than 40 red native grapes and more than 40 white native grapes, okay? So, and we're talking about grapes have been growing here since for centuries, like, I don't know, for millenniums, because we're talking about at least 1700 before uh, Christ, that is a long time. Uh, the Veneto wines were already famous with the Latins, so with the Romans, you know. Uh, some of the grapes that you should definitely try is uh, for the reds, uh, Araboso, that is a slightly, um, is a new wine, as in uh, when you drink is new, is a very old wine, but you know, the word Araboso comes from the word Rabioso in Venetian, that means angry, a bit fiery. Because when you drink it, it's got a little bit of a peppery taste and you, it's a very okay. stringent, very sour, okay? Well, not, not sour as vinegar, but it's on the sour side, okay, by tangy. And it's likely sparkling, even though it's not sparkling wine. It's a new, it's a, you know, naturally fermented new wine. Uh, and that people, uh, when I introduce this wine to everybody, people love it. Um, it is really, really different from any other wine. Refosco. Uh, that's another grape that comes from uh, uh, the Veneto region that is very good and is not very well known. Obviously, the Valpolicella, both uh, the Amarone and uh, the Valpolicella, Valpolicella Ripasso. Then from the whites, uh, you have, of course, the Soave. Uh, you have a Garganega, you go a Lugana, you have a Ribolla Gialla, you have a Malvasia. Uh, gosh, uh, I mean, I think we could stay here about an hour talking about Veneto wine. <laughs> We could should do another episode. We could do a whole episode on this, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, as I say, uh, I think uh, what I can say to you, this is the best way to do it when uh, people come to Venice. And this was uh, a tip that was given to me by uh, one of my sommelier teachers when I was doing my sommelier course, was that when you walk into a restaurant, this should be applied anywhere in the world, okay? When you go to a restaurant, you should always, first of all, decide what you're going to eat. Then you ask the matter, you're going to tell the matter what you're going to eat. You're going to tell him what type of wine you like. Not as much as red and white, but just tell them if you like fruit, if you are acidic, if you want it dry, whatever. Then you tell them your budget. And then you tell them you want a local wine. This allows them to give them to give to you the best wine for your meal and for you to try some amazing local wines. That's it. That's my tip. Good advice. 
not just in Venice, but wherever you're going. This is good advice. Mm -hmm. uh, drink the local wine because this is what this is also what they're most familiar with, so they can give you a better guidance. Yeah, but not only that. Think about it. the The wine was uh, was grown in the same area where the food was grown, so they mm -hmm. got the same minerals, the same nutrients. So, and they come from the tradition of the history of the place. So, obviously, they go hand in hand. In your book, you outline all of these different uh, chicchetti, and so mm -hmm. with our with our little glass of wine, we're going to have uh, chicchetti. And I just wanted to open this conversation by asking you, Monica. What are some of your favorite chicchetti? What, what, if, if we were to go out into Venice, me and you, and we mm. were to go into uh, one of these bars, what would mm -hmm. be something you would look for? You would say, oh, I, I really want to try that. I really want to have that. Okay. Number one for me is always uh, octopus, moscardino. And that is octopus, little octopus, they're not big. It's a small, little, tiny octopus in tomato sauce. But I could have a whole... Uh, you know, pot of it on my own. <laughs> I just I love that. <laughs> then definitely bacala mantecato, that is a mousse of uh, dry cod, uh, stockfish. Uh, that is one of the staples and most famous dishes from Venice. Uh, and I repeat, stockfish is not uh, salt cod, so it's not bacalao, okay, like the rest of the world, it is stockfish. And for some reason here in Venice, we call it bacalava. Don't ask me, it's a long, long story. Nobody really knows why. Um, and uh, then another famous, famous dish that I will get people to, two actually famous dish I will get people to try is definitely the uh, sardine sour, that's a sweet and sour sardine, because uh, the sour was the method the Ven Venetian used to use to preserve uh, fish, meat, and vegetables. And for sure, our very famous uh, polpette, uh, the meatballs, because we have got all different types. Every single osteria, baccaro makes completely different versions. You can have them fried, you can have them in tomato sauce, you can have them baked or whatever. So that's another, yeah. Well, I have four actually that I will go for. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I know we don't want to say that uh, Cicchetti is tapas, but I would like to nope. make a slight comparison in order to ask this question to you. because mm, Okay, I, I will allow you that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Monica. Thank you for indulging me. So, um, you know, a lot of times in Spain, when you go into a tapas bar, you will see the plates already laid out and you point at things. And then here in Portugal... Um, we have what's called a similar small plate called a patisco. And mm -hmm. sometimes, but very rarely, will you see the plate set out. You actually order off of the menu and then the, the patiscos mm -hmm. come out. So my question to you is, how does it work in Venice? Do we order and it comes out or is there stuff laid out and we're pointing? So it's never like on little plates, never you go to order. It's actually on a counter. Usually they're on display, like, you know, when you display cakes and stuff like that, it's a yes. big display generally. Uh, well, a real chiquetti place will be like this because now they got so many different ones, whatever. But let's say a real chiquetti place, it will be a display um, where and you point and you ask them and you tell them which one you want. Uh, you know, you can go from one. Uh, to 10, whatever you want uh, to just have a little snack or if you want to make a meal of it. Uh, yeah, you just usually point. What's interesting is, is uh, they're never the same. So uh, you can literally go to five different places and have completely five different experiences because each one will have his own take his own you know version of it uh, and some are more traditional, some are more adventurous. So it's 
totally different. And they are smaller. I think that's a difference with tapas. Uh, the main difference, I mean, also the, the reason when they were born, but I think it's also that they are much smaller than tapas. The tapas, I think, is also, they are on plates, as you say, it's like a little side dishes, if I'm not wrong. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? Yeah. Uh, when instead of chicken, there are small little bites to it. You can really literally go have a small, literally a small glass of wine and just one and walk away, you know, and it will cost you like two euros uh, for a small chiquetto is, uh, you know, uh, back in the days was even cheaper. Think of it. Back in the days, it would have been like an egg with an anchovies. It would have been a bit of polenta with a little bit of cheese on top. Uh, you know, it wasn't nothing... Uh, particularly fancy or you know and big it was literally something that you can just put in your mouth while you have you were drinking you walk away simple as that that's what i like about it is because these plates are so small that you can try all of these different things you're not limited to okay i'm going to choose this one dish and then if i don't like it i'm kind of screwed because you know i'm stuck with this one this big dish if if exactly. it, if it's great, maybe I get another. Or if it's if it's not so great, maybe I get other things. You know, I can get five, six exactly. things and have a great evening. Exactly. I mean, when I take people around on my tours, it's really interesting because generally I try to get an array of uh, all different types, and I try to introduce people to dishes that maybe they wouldn't try themselves. So, you know, like maybe the, uh, the fresh anchovies, the sardines, the octopus, you know, things that people generally are not so used to eat if they don't live in Europe, you know. Uh, and it's very interesting because that's exactly what happens. Sometimes they try and they like it. Sometimes they don't like it. It can happen. Uh, you know, everybody's different. But it doesn't spoil the whole experience. It's just that one little thing that we didn't like. But then out of, let's say, of six things I gave them to try, it's only one and the rest they love. So it's, you know, it's a good, a good way. And it's a good way also not to get too full as you're walking by. Because I think it's the trouble when you uh, go traveling. You know, you go for lunch and you have a big lunch. And then all you want to do is go to have siesta because you're so tired <laughs> right. and uh, you miss out uh, in so many hours of, uh, you know, because you go back to your hotel, you spend two hours sleeping, whatever. When you start, you could have done those two hours doing some more uh, uh, sightseeing and so on. So, yeah, I think it's a great way to do Venice that way. Yeah, that's I always recommend it, even when I have friends or it's not just clients, but even friends. What I love about your book is you've got all of these recipes for Cicchetti in addition to all the great places to go to. And these recipes, what strikes me is that they're so simple yet mm-hmm. delicious. You know, it's like there, there's not pages and pages of ingredients because the Thank you. because everything is just it's easy, but it's also you know, so flavorful uh, because in Italy, you know, in Venice in particular, but Italy in general, all of the ingredients are of such high quality. So you don't have to mask them with all these fancy sauces and all, all these other techniques and things like that. It's just get the best and then put these things together and then you've got a wonderful chiquetti. And, and that's what I really enjoy. You know, one page and it's easy to make. Yeah, you actually literally spot on. I'm so happy. I am so happy. You actually totally got my intention. Uh, what's happened is when I started writing this book about ten, well, now it's 13 years because <laughs> it was 10 years when I wrote it. So it's 13 years now. 
And the idea was I wanted to write a recipe book, okay? Um, and it was a list of recipes. It, was, uh, it wasn't just Chiquetti, it was the other stuff as well. So when eventually I spoke to, my, uh, to the publisher and we agreed on how the book was going to be, and he said to me, look, we need to go pocket size. So you need to reduce uh, the, the recipes. It needs to be a mix of everything. And I said, okay, I like the idea. Also because he said it's easier for the book to sell this way. Okay. And then I sat down and I thought, okay, what, how can I make my book different from other books that speak about Venetian cuisine? Because there's loads, not just written by uh, Venetians and Italians, but also by foreign people. That The difference was that I didn't want my recipes to be uh, changed, as you, if you know what I'm saying. I wanted to write the original Venetian recipes as when people come over, try them. Because I think, unfortunately, what's happening, and don't get me wrong, I like the idea, I understand why it's done. A lot of people who write books about uh, Italian food in general, let's say, and they adapt it to America, England, Australia, whatever it is, whichever country they're writing for. They usually adapt the recipe to the country, those changing it, okay? Uh, Venetian recipes are so easy and they so can easily so be replicated back at home. But I thought, no, uh, I'm going to leave them as they are. And I'm pretty sure. So I made sure that there were recipes that I know that people can find ingredients when they are back in whichever country they are. Uh, and I wanted them to be simple because I wanted people that cannot even cook to be able to make them. Ah. Uh, that was my goal. goal. Yeah. And I'm happy you noticed that. Thank you. <laughs> Success on that goal, Monica. Um, thank you. Thank you. I, I wanted to talk about uh, one recipe in particular because you've got a couple in there um, that have artichokes in them. And I love mm -hmm. I love artichokes. And I saw this recipe for uh, crostini con robiola. And mm -hmm. I personally wouldn't have dreamed of combining artichokes, almonds, sun-dried tomatoes and olives. And then I saw the recipe and I thought about it. I'm like, this is genius because you've got nuttiness, saltiness, umami, grassiness all together, <laughs> held together with the cheese. <laughs> and I can't wait for spring to come <laughs> so that I can get some artichokes and, and try this recipe. So this actually was one of a recipe that was born during the cooking class, uh, during a cooking class where we were actually doing, um, it was interesting. We were doing a cooking class uh, talking about Chiquetti to a group of Venetian people. So it was very challenging because as you can imagine, we, you know, we are trying to explain about Chiquetti to people that actually know what Chiquetti is. Oh my goodness. So we might, we might, my colleague of Cooking Venice, we were trying to, uh, you know, we did obviously the basic recipes and then we were trying to exper experiment a little bit with some other versions, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, something different. And we came up with Robiola, that is a very versatile, soft uh, cheese of the Stracchino family, okay? Uh, it's a cheese that actually originates from the Lange region, from Piemonte. Uh, it's a mix between cow, goats, uh, and sheep's, uh, sheep's milk, okay? Mm. And it's delicious because it's, uh, I always say, once you have a Robiola, you never go back to Philadelphia. <laughs> Simple as that, okay? Because uh, it has the consistency of Philadelphia, but... Oh, so it's the like the flavor a cream cheese, is okay. about oh, is a thousand times uh, better flavor. You know, it's full of uh, you know. I don't know. The flavor is amazing, 
And we thought, well, we can't just present it just with rubiola. So we tried to experiment with different things. And of course, in Italy, you know, we use a lot of olives. We, we do use artichokes a lot. We use uh, the uh, sun-dried tomatoes. We do nuts and stuff like that. So it was... Um, uh, we did a bit of experiments, uh, obviously on the portions as well, because, uh, you know, you put too much and it's too much, it's a bit too little, it wasn't enough. And um, it went down very well with the Venetians. So we thought, okay, can definitely make the book then. <laughs> definitely make a book. <laughs> and the artichoke was important because, of course, uh, Venice is very famous for his artichokes from the island of Sant'Erasmo, uh, the famous Castraure, that is the first little bud that comes out of the artichoke in spring. Uh, and they're very famous because they only exist on the island of Sant'Erasmo. It's a DOP, so control origin product, uh, and it's uh, purple. Uh, and uh, these particular kind of artichokes are very, how can I say, sweet and sour at the same time. They're very full of minerals because, of course, being grown on, on this island in the middle of a lagoon, loads of, of minerals and salt. But at the same time, they're very delicate. So they're very good, both cooked and raw as well. So you can slice them very thinly. But obviously, back uh, outside of Venice, you can replicate with any kind of uh, little artichokes and using, you know, the ready-made, uh, you know, those that you can have a cook them or you can buy them, the ready-made one in the jars. Uh, but now they're widely available, I think, even in America. I, I hope. Yes, yes. <laughs> and if they don't, they should buy them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, that's fascinating. I had no idea that this was a recipe that you invented. This is not a traditional recipe that you're sharing in your book. You you guys came up with this, and it was a uh, it was a wonderful creation. I can't wait to try it. Yeah, well, it is uh, is one that we created, but then I see sometimes uh, in some of the bakery that I know, not always, because Robiola is quite expensive So uh, as a cheese. So it will make the cicchetti for, to be sold very very expensive but every so often i see it for example there is one of the bakery now he hasn't done it for a while for very reason but for a long time he used to do it uh with um brisaola that is a cured meat from uh, italy stuffed with a rubiola cheese and then marinated in oil and that was very very good uh yeah so you do every so often most of the stuff we put in was actually uh is all the stuff we actually got from the different Bakery, but every so often, I think one or two recipes are those that uh, we actually devised. But uh, for the rest, it was all the traditional ones, traditional and new ones, of course. Yeah, I noticed something in your book, um, in the vegetable section, the mm -hmm. chicchetti recipes they're organized alphabetically, but. Mm -hmm. I, I noticed something else, and this may just be a coincidence. In fact, I'm sure it's a coincidence. They're also almost, not quite, almost arranged according to season. Because the, there's a, in, at the beginning of the recipes, there's a couple with uh, artichokes and fennel. Those come out in the spring. Mm -hmm. Then there's a few mm -hmm. recipes with peppers and tomatoes. They come out in the summer. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, there's butternut squash. And that's a, that's a fall recipe. And I thought, uh, actually, it's, it, it was alphabetical, but you actually <laughs> noticed it. Now you're right. See, I, I see this book was meant to be, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes, because yes. because say, seasonal dining is so important in all of Italy, it, but in Venice in particular, right? Exactly. But uh, not only that, um, I just wanted to make sure that people understood by, uh, if you notice, well, first of all, I made sure that the chicchetti were divided by type, so fish meat and vegetables uh because i thought 
it will be nice also for people that are vegetarian to have a, a, a list of chikative they can do. But um, also, uh, my intention was to pe for people to understand that uh, it's not just fish that is important in Venice, but vegetables. You know, we the Veneto region is one of the regions in Italy with the highest production of vegetables and fruits. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not so sure how much production, but we are one of the biggest regions in Italy, if not the biggest, but definitely one of the biggest. And I just wanted to make sure people could see the array of vegetables that we have. So it's not just the artichokes and it's not just tomatoes. You have the onions, you've got the fennels, you've got the zucchini flower, you have a zucchini, you have a butternut squash, we have a cabbage. And this comes from our tradition of cooking because people think that, um, you know, there is a misconception about Venetian cooking cuisine that is very bland and is very basic. No, first of all, it's not bland. It is a cuisine that works on fresh. Like you were saying before, the ingredients got to be fresh. So you don't need thousands of sauces, thousands of ingredients, thousands of spices to cover the flavor because it's fresh and it tastes good. But uh, it's also a cuisine that was made of a lot of fruits and vegetables. And we kind of lost this in the history, uh, you know, because... Uh, for the last, from the 60s onwards, everybody comes and only eats fish because that's what uh, the, you know, the people from the, the tourists from the north, like the German, the Austrians and so on, were asking where they were coming to the city because, of course, they didn't have access to fish. So they wanted to have fish. And the majority of restaurants start to follow the trend. So instead of proposing what really was Venetian, they proposed to the client what the client was asking. And we, sh we shifted to a lot, a lot, a lot of fish and less and less vegetables. But now I got to say things are changing, thankfully. So we are rediscovering uh, that part of our cuisine. And I'm very happy about that. That's awesome. In your book, it's it's. I don't want people to think it's just recipes because you also no, no. you also lay out all of, well, there's history, but you also mm -hmm. lay out all of these itineraries where you mm -hmm. give people uh walking tours, basically, mm -hmm. and you say all of these great Cicchetti spots to stop mm -hmm. at um, the, uh, the the bars. So, you know, I don't want to go through all these itineraries. People should get the book. But I wanted, exactly. to, I wanted to ask you, Monica, <laughs> if, if we were to go out, it, describe to me what a typical evening would be like um, sampling wine and Cicchetti around the city. Like, how would you organize it yourself? Not the places, but the philosophy, the idea. Okay, right, good. I'm, I'm glad you asked. You, you didn't ask me about places because that I, it's not that I don't want to tell people about the places, just I don't want to put one in front of another because uh, there's about 30 of them and I like them all. Of course, I have my favorites like everybody, but it wouldn't be fair. Okay, but uh, this is how you you know, I think things should be done. Well, first of all, I wouldn't jump from one uh, district to another. I will stick to a district the way you don't have to walk too much in between. Uh, in fact, the itineraries uh, in the books are divided by districts. So according to which sestiere, the sestiere is the district in Venice. So according if you are in Canareggio, in Castello, in Dorso Duro, there are uh, a list of places where you can go to. So it's easier. I will start adding to those places about 5.30. That is a bit earlier than your typical Venetian will do because that way you get to sit down because otherwise if you go at the time that the typical Venetian goes, that's about 6.37, then you will find the places packed. Hmm. So 
it's good to go a bit earlier. So that's my suggestion. Uh, so go about 5.30. You start with, uh, um, I know everybody comes to Venice to have a spritz, but uh, I will say no. <laughs> go for wine. Okay. Go for wine or or my drink that I've been trying to push for years now that is called a Cinico. And it's uh, a version of a spritz, a spritz, but much better. It is Prosecco, lime, mint and cinnamon liqueur. So trust me, very good. I define it as summer with a hint of Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's only one, and there's only one place in Venice that does it. But if people want to know which one, they're gonna have to write to me uh, because I'm not divulging that <laughs> online. <laughs> uh, okay, or is in the book. You will find it definitely in the book. Uh, now, I will start definitely by going and have a, some a glass of wine, like an ombra, you know, a small glass of wine, maybe two if you are the kind that uh, can take two, with maybe two free chicchetti, no more than that. Then. Um, take a little stroll, move to another place uh, and try different chicchetti and different, uh, you know, wine and do this. And you can probably do about three of this, uh, taking it very easy. I wouldn't do a pub crawl, so I wouldn't squash all of this in an hour. I will honestly do it over a two, three hours uh, time scale. Okay, to really enjoy, to really doing it the way the Venetians do it. But it's not just about walking in and drinking. It's about walking, meeting people, socializing, socializing, do a bit of people watching, uh, do a little bit of gossiping as well. <laughs> and then once you're done, you move to the next one. You meet some different people along the way and so on. That's what I'm saying is a way. And per Bakari, I couldn't translate it going to the bars. It's not the same. Uh, it is literally a stroll with food and wine. It's not even a walk. It's a stroll with food and wine. That's what it is. I love this lifestyle. This is uh, mm. just, you know, it's nope. just exquisite. Um, yeah, don't, don't we, don't we, trust me, don't yeah. we. <laughs> <laughs> well, Monica, before I let you go, one of the things that I say is, um, you know, the two things that you want to do first when you get to a city is number one, take the food tour and we'll have a link mm -hmm. to, uh, to your information so that when folks go to Venice, they can do a food tour with you. Highly recommend mm -hmm. that. But also the second thing I say to do when you get to a, a new city is to go to the market so you can get a feel mm -hmm. for what the ingredients are that the locals are mm -hmm. taking home and cooking with. And maybe if you're in Airbnb, you're going to be doing some cooking yourself, maybe. So um, Absolutely. There's a, famous, uh, there's a famous market in Venice called the Rialto yeah. Market. What would you say yeah. about this place? Well, first of all, it's one of the oldest in Europe, if not the oldest, but pretty sure one of the oldest. Uh, it is a fish market and a vegetable mar market. Of course, uh, it has changed... Uh, drastically through the years uh you know now is uh, a little bit what it used to be of course because the number of venetians of course uh, declined from 180,000 to 50 uh, to less than 50,000 so you can understand but uh, it's open from monday to saturday uh but on mondays uh, there isn't the fish market there is only the vegetables because of course the fishermen do not work at the weekends uh but let's say it's open from monday to uh, saturdays 
and is is an amazing place because there is um, a clear distinction between the area where they sell all the fruits and vegetables. And it's amazing because according to the season, you get uh, this, all these different bright colors and these different uh, perfumes and aromas and smells and is really beautiful. And then you have a section dedicated to the fish. But uh, again, it's dedicated between the older area where they tend to sell more of the wild fish and then another area where they sell instead where, you know, the daily fish that is being uh, raised in the lagoon and so on. Uh, but I repeat, it's very interesting. What was interesting is that back in the old days, and I'm talking about maybe until about 30 years ago, so we're not talking that long ago, um, early in the morning, and I'm talking about four or five o'clock in the morning, you would have the boats arriving, the fishermen boats arriving to the market to sell the fish at, uh, you know, as you say, you know, like in a proper fish market to the stalls, and then the stalls will sell it to the public. And then you had all the boats coming in from the different islands and the different areas of the mainland where they were growing fruits and vegetables, bring them in to be sold. Um the, the way of doing things have changed because, of course, no, by law, they cannot do that anymore. They got to buy from the proper dedicated fish and vegetable markets uh, of Venice now. Uh, but uh, the idea is still the same. So most of the stores will only sell local vegetables, local fruits, you know, so you will only find stuff in season. And the same goes for the fish. You will find most of the fishes from the lagoon and the rest maybe from some other parts of Italy, but that's as far as it gets. Uh, we don't go outside of the Mediterranean, so you know. Okay. Perfect. And that's what's interesting. Yes. And if you go to a f my fishmongers, it's you go to ask for Gianni, and you tell him you're Monica's friend, then he'll give you a very good, uh, very good fish. <laughs> you got the guy. Of course you have the guy. Uh, <laughs> of course. Is he, is he, if there is a picture of him on the book, so you can go with the book and show you, oh, look, that's you. He'll be even more excited because he was very happy when his pictures ended up in the book. He was very, very happy. Well, Monica, it's been great catching up with you. Congratulations on the book and our per Bakery, Food, Wine, and Itineraries Among Venice. Of course, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And we'll also have a link to your uh, food tours so that people can look you up. I highly recommend uh, folks get this. If you're going to Venice, get it. If you're not going to Venice and you want to cook like a Venetian, um, you should pick it up as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great talking to you today. Can I just ask, uh, say one more thing? Sorry, just of very course. quickly. The book should be available on Amazon.com, but we're having a problem at the moment. So if people cannot find it on Amazon.com, they can send me a message, they can buy from me, and that way they'll get it also with an autograph and a dedication. That's it. Perfect. Okay? Great advice. Thank you, Monica. <laughs> That's her, the delightful Monica Cesarato, talking about her home and the city she loves, Venice. You can learn more about Monica, book a food tour with her, or buy an autographed book at monicacesarato.com. That's C-E-S-A-R-A-T-O. I've also got a link in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash D-E-D-255. And I've got a link to Monica's first appearance on the podcast three years ago. And you can get that directly at radiomisfits.com slash D-E-D-9-0. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, another delightful guest, Michaela Malazzi, host of TV's Bare Feet Show. 
how lucky am I to get to talk to all these wonderful people? And best of all, McKella was in Lisbon, so we sat down for dinner and a chat about the new season of her show, so don't miss that. And while you're waiting, head over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about a great winery here in Portugal. It's called Quinta do Piloto, and you've likely never heard of it, but they have terrific wines and an incredible view. And you can see pictures of the wine and the view, along with my story about the place at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. I also just posted a video. This one is about the Bay Festival in our city of Setúbal, Portugal. Lots of fun out on the water, impressive sailing ships, and even some screaming guitar solos to melt your face. You can see that by clicking on the video tab at DestinationEatDrink.com or by going to YouTube at DestinationEatDrink946. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and Ed Silla, a guy who's opening a bakery in Venice that only serves scotch. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.